Blue Wire. Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! To the win! Um, you know, it's funny. We were doing the Dunks and Discourse podcast this Wednesday. We had Tony Jones of The Athletic on, talk up some jazz. He was uh, he's feeling himself on the timeline. His guy, Donovan Mitchell, has been going off. And we started talking about the MVP race and Donovan Mitchell, could he get into it? And we got like seven, maybe eight names deep, and nobody had mentioned Giannis yet. And And I was looking like since February or since January 1st, the Bucks have the third best record in the NBA. They have the second best net rating. Giannis is averaging like 33 and 15 over that stretch. And Giannis can't get a sniff. And I'll just like, I'll throw it to both of you. And Brian, go ahead and go first. Um, what, is, is there anything he could do to get in on that race? I really think unless he starts hitting like 35% of his threes or some outside shots or something, I really think that's the only thing. His His weaknesses, I think, have really been just you know glommed on and everybody's hating on him for that just because he has such glaring weaknesses I don't know that we've ever really seen an MVP candidate or a two-time MVP winner with such glaring weaknesses so I think that's really for him the biggest thing and obviously I mean I don't know that that will ever happen or even that it needs to happen Um, at this point I just think that in a lot of voters' minds, he's really peaked, right? Last couple of years, the Bucks have been killing it in the regular season. This year, they're not as good. They're only they're about to be sixteen and ten, which is by Boonholzer standards with the Bucks is not very good. So I don't know that there's really anything that he can do to get up there again, unless a couple more years goes by, and then all of a sudden he hits another level with just his overall stats. Yeah, I I agree. Like, I think even coming into this year, just after the way their season ended last year, I don't think there was anything he could have did this regular season. Like, fair or not, he, uh, he could average, like, 40 points, 20 boards, and he wouldn't have got the MVP. And, I mean, even now, like, you said he wasn't seventh or eighth. It's a lot of legit candidates. Like, I don't think that's too crazy. Like, you start listing, like, the, like, Jokic can be LeBron – Steph, Dane, like it, it gets, you get to a top five or six really quick. Yeah, it is, it is a year where there's a lot of candidates, but it does feel like, you know, what, what's the averaging on the season right now? Like 28, 13, and six. He's been good. His numbers are comparable to prior years. I know the record's not there. I really thought tonight, like, if the Bucks came in, I mean, it's an 11 point game with seven minutes left. So, We'll see. I, I felt like if the Bucks came in, he had a big game. The Jazz have been the team this year. Maybe it sort of starts to launch his campaign, but it's just become it's become so glaring with him what his weaknesses are, and like getting letting Devin Booker chirp you and uh, any any lesser star chirp you. But like it's just he's so flawed, and kind of like the way that other players view Giannis has been so weird. Because like even Steve Nash winning those MVPs. Like people weren't like NBA players weren't talking down on Steve Nash's defense the way that like NBA players, Harden, Booker, some of these guys have talked down on Giannis's lack of shooting. I'm trying to think who was the last star that was, I don't know, I don't say bullied, but like trolled by other guys. He really is too. I think that like the disrespect is crazy for a two time MVP and a clear top 
three top two player in the NBA. I think it's crazy. And it, it speaks to his glaring weaknesses, but also just how good he is at what he does well. I think that's that's what get lost in the mix and in the shuffle is just how good he is. You know, everybody knows he wants to get into the paint, but not one single guy can stop him from getting into the paint. It takes that wall and takes that team. And I really think that's like the next level for Giannis is to have that extreme patience, you know, to probe the lane, but then to kick it out to his guys when three defenders collapse. I don't know if he can do that consistently. He does that in spurts right now, but I think he's still trying to figure that out. But yeah, that disrespect, like Booker saying, what do you say? Like, I'm good with that shot or we're good with that shot. I mean, he went on to explain a little bit more, but I think, yeah, just that lack of, I don't know. I don't know if lack of respect is the right word, but just, you know, that, that willingness to allow a two-time MVP to take a 20-footer that's fairly open with the game in the line and be okay with that. It's also a thing where, I don't know if it was last night or the night before, where he took the last shot of the game. And I was thinking, like, I get he was having a good quarter. He's the MVP. But I feel like I would have went to Chris Middleton there. Like, that just feels like more his speed, creating with, like, a couple seconds left. They only needed – they're only down one, so they didn't need a three. And they went to Giannis, and he missed. I felt like I would have went to Middleton there, but maybe Brian can speak on that. Like, do you you just go to your best guy no matter what? Would you have went to Giannis there? Yeah, they tried to go to Middleton. So this is a thing that drives Bucks fans crazy. Is Budenholzer has been running the same, not the not the exact same, but pretty much the same variation of that last second um, sidelines out of bound play where Middleton curls to the corner and he was actually open. The Suns they messed up the switch, but Chris Paul, being the savvy, super smart defender that he is, knew what was coming, and so he slid down. He was guarding the inbounder, so he took that pass away that was supposed to go to Middleton and then Giannis was I think the second or maybe even third option on that so once Chris Paul took that away from Middleton then Giannis came in from the backcourt and and received the pass and went kind of one-on-one with Aiton there so yeah the initial the initial plan on that was to get Middleton a shot going curling to that strong side corner but Chris Paul was all over that and read that from the get-go. I kind of wonder like on the Middleton closing on a whole, like I, I, I don't really know. Middleton has these great seasons. His efficiency's up there. They start to give him that credit. Bleacher Report throws him top fifteen or whatever that everybody all, all upset in the off season. Like he's been regarded as a pretty good player for a couple of years now. He is a three level scorer, but it is interesting that it feels like a lot of times in games they aren't going to him late over the last couple of years. And I, I know that like I was excited when the Bogdanovich news broke that they were going to have another guy that could handle the ball and shoot coming to the team. Obviously, that didn't pan out. Um, Drew Holiday wasn't, isn't playing tonight. I, I, I feel like Brian might be uh, really anti, but I just felt like Drew was the best version of Eric Bledsoe. Like, he was the Charizard to uh, Bledsoe's Charmander. And, like, you're better, but, like, how much better? And do you think that is still – are the Bucks' issues from last year any different with Drew than – or now with Drew than they were with Bled? I think their issues are different. I think they're trying to figure this out. So Budenholzer has, you know, defensively was one of the big ones, right? I think um, for Bucks fans, you hear a lot about like the drop coverage. That was really a buzzword and why or how that allowed Milwaukee to be the best defense in the regular season, but then get exploited. I mean, you saw the heat just smoke them. You saw the Raptors two years ago take advantage of that. And so Drew, he's been very 
vocal, even in like the post game press conferences, like telling the media that they have to do things differently. And then you see the very next game that translates into something on the court. So you know that just even in the locker room, Drew has Budenholzer's ear of trying different things. I also think that's why Milwaukee is struggling a little bit more defensively this year is because they are trying new things. They had their bread and butter that's been figured out a little bit. So now they're trying to figure out how to switch it up and it's going to have more struggles during the regular season, like this game you're seeing with the Jazz. But the the hope is, at least the plan is, that it will pay off more in crunch time or in the postseason when the games matter. So they may not be at their best now, but the hope is they'll be at their best later. And I think the biggest thing, Drew, I mean, I love Bledsoe, but he was such a head case when it came to the playoffs. He got into his own head. That affected his defense. It affected his offense. Drew is a lot more mentally strong or resilient player you know he's the one who is bringing the boom to the other players and getting in their head he's the one who can be calm when the storm is all around him instead of being you know taken out of his own game so I think that's what I'm most excited to see with Drew is just that calmness and that ability to control a game instead of letting the game control him yeah I feel like the Bucks kind of got a bad rap like regular season you want teams to experiment like you want them to try out new things and run different plays and uh, at the end of games and try different defenses, stuff like that. And when they were trying them and losing them earlier in the season, it was like, well, the Bucks done. It's like, well, I thought that was the whole point of this 82 or 72 now game regular season, but looks like they're getting it together. Now this game wasn't great, but again, no drew. So I, I don't know how much, you know, stock to put in it long-term. Even even moving away from from just the Bucks, like it does really feel like, and again, credit to Draymond Green for the eighty two game sixteen game breakdown because it does really feel like that's how fans all view the game now. Like the Bucks, like Giannis couldn't win MVP even if he had forty and twenty because even though it's a regular season award, people want to see him be consistent in his team, be successful in the playoffs. You know, with with Harden, we got to that point. The Lakers, who continue to like show zero effort and play five minutes of basketball a night are getting a pass for most of the timeline because, you know, they're LeBron James and they're defending champs. It seems like the regular season is, you know, it, it's just pause. And and I, I don't remember this so much 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but it really does feel like everybody is just, everything is a, is a test of faith until the playoffs because the playoffs is. Yeah, definitely. And I think some of that comes with, it's like a double-edged sword is, um, just speaking specifically about the Bucks, is people have been yelling for them to experiment in the regular season. And now that they are experiment, you know, just like, um, so now that they are experimenting and not having success, people are upset about that. And like, what the heck is going on? Like, they need to figure it out. Boonholzer needs to be fired. It's like, well, experimenting doesn't mean success. You know, not everybody's going to be Nick Nurse last season, just running all these defenses and still racking up the wins. Like, the word experiment means that there's going to be failure in some of these defenses that they're trying, or there's going to at least be, you know, a lot of room where the, where the team needs to adapt and figure out how to implement switching defense after not running that for multiple years. So yeah, I think that's right on is like the regular season doesn't carry as much weight, but then for fans, fans also kind of get nervous when your team starts losing games that maybe in the past couple of years they were. Oh, I see Tom in the chat saying like the Lakers deserve it, like slander them. And I just, I don't know. I, I don't know where you guys are, but with, with any LeBron team at this point, I honestly don't care where the Lakers land in the playoffs. If they were the eighth seed in the West, 
I wouldn't really doubt them unless AD was out or there, there had to be something crazy. Like I, I just don't think they get up for regular. I don't think they really like have a reason to like they've shown they can do it. LeBron's playing, I think maybe the fewest minutes ever. Like they're just not, I don't think AD has looked as engaged. I won't say like checked out, but it does feel like, okay, well, like we just went through all that to win a championship. This is regular season is kind of a formality. Like if we'll, we'll get there, they're going to be in the top six seeds. They won't be in the play in. And once they get there, they're going to feel like, I don't know what home quarter look like for this postseason or if they'll go back to bubble or whatever, but they're always going to feel like they have the best player. So I, I get it. I don't think there's anything to stress about at this point. Like they're, they're I not, think they're still the two seed jazz or one, but would anybody pick the jazz over them in a seven game series right now? No. And that's the thing. Like I, I think as good as the jazz have been, nobody's picking Utah over the Lakers in a playoff series still. And I mean, for all of that, like, heavy chest-out talk about Anthony Davis being better than Giannis, and, like, Anthony Davis, I don't know if he's... I can't speak to his mental state, and I know he's been banged up, but, like, I don't even know if he's been an all-star. He's been so lethargic on both ends for a lot of the season, but especially offense. And it just, like, I can't even... I would love to just rough up Jabari and talk about how AD's fallen off a cliff where he doesn't care, but I just think you just won the playoffs without home court advantage, and you have LeBron James, and you have Anthony Davis, and I don't know... You know, the Clippers are good, but they've got their issues. Denver and Dallas have struggled. You know, everyone's waiting on Utah. I, I don't even know. Is there a team that L.A. is even scared of? I don't see it. Like, I I think Clippers would be a good series, but they're another one. Like, I don't think there's anything they can really do regular season. They're just going to have to prove it in the playoffs with the way, like, they talked the talk last year and – went out the way they did in the playoffs or yeah, in the postseason bubble, it was just going to be a thing. They're going to have to prove it. No matter what seed they got, they know they were going to be hopefully in the conference finals this year, but they were going to have to prove it. Yeah. I mean, I think LeBron, he's just got that going at 52 years old. He's just still running the NBA and he just is taking it to another level. It's crazy. It's just he knows that the league runs through him and the league knows that they have to run through him. Yeah. I don't, like it, it, it does feel like there's a lot of like, I mean, fans will always be fans, but it does feel like there's an awful lot of people just like holding their bullets and just waiting to see what happens because there's not a lot of like, despite whatever the results are here, like this about to be 21 and five, I think jazz team, like no one's really completely all the way in. You know, the Lakers being bad, no one's completely out. Um, I don't know, like, in the Eastern Conference, too, like, everyone, I think the Lakers are the favorite, and, and like Tyler said, like, a lot of people feel like the Clippers have a chance. Um, but in the East, I don't, I don't feel super strong about the Bucks, Sixers, the Nets. Um, the Celtics are really struggling right now. I, I don't feel super strongly about anyone. And I, I think we've kind of reached that, quote-unquote parody type feel that a lot of people wanted and i'm i'll throw it to you guys but is this is the league better or worse for it not to have a dominant team that everyone assumes you can go ahead brian i was gonna say i i like it this way i think that like just speaking eastern conference there's so many teams that just have different dynamics i think talking about like the jazz and the lakers is like you just expect the lakers to win and i wonder if it has to do with that star power right is the lakers have the star power where the jazz they're more 
you know, the sum is more than their parts type team. And so I, I think that is a lot to do with just the perception. Um, and then as the Eastern Conference goes, you have teams like the Bucks who are maybe some, there's the sum of their parts are more than just their individual team or their individual players, whereas the Nets, they have that star power. So I think the parity is is huge for the league and it, it creates that intrigue. You know, you tune in because you think the Celtics who are right around 500 right now could hang with the Sixers or the Bucks or the Nets at the top of the East. So personally, as a, I mean, this might just be a small market perspective or a small market lens, but I, I like that for the league. And I think that it'll do wonders. Yeah, I agree. I like it a lot. Like the heat who won the Eastern conference last year, like are not even in the playoffs as of right now. I think they're the 10 or 11 seed and it doesn't really feel like they're missed. Like I'm looking forward to, like, I have no idea what a Philly Brooklyn series would look like. I basically, I I really just want to see Brooklyn versus anybody. I want to see if that lockdown defense uh, is going to be able to score enough points in the postseason. Me too. I, I, you know, like I really like the Nets coming into the season I actually feel if you're with them now because of the lack of depth, and I just don't know about Harden, Kyrie, and Katie, and sharing the ball and making all of that work when it really matters. But, yeah, I really want to watch the Nets play. I, I think you guys are right, and, and Miami did feel like a bit of a flash in the pan last year. Like, they, I don't know if them – I think they'll probably make the playoffs still. I think they're competitive, but I don't know – like you said, I don't know if they're missed. Um, when you look at Philly versus Milwaukee, where are you leaning – the one thing that scares me the most is that Embiid matchup. I think that's why the Bucks brought in Robin Lopez last year because Brooke can't stay on the court the whole time Embiid is out there. So this year, Brooke can guard some of those minutes that Embiid's out there, but then what happens is they're not going to put, well, maybe they'll put Portis on him, but that's just a nightmare. So then Giannis is going to be have to be the guy, and I think that just spreads him too thin. So that is a Bucks fan is the thing I'm most worried about when it comes to that Philly matchup that Philly-Milwaukee matchup is, how does that Embiid, um, how does that go? You know, is Giannis going to have to spend a significant amount of time guarding Embiid? And that's what I'm worried about. Just not saying Giannis can't do it, but how is he also then supposed to battle in the post every possession? You know, that wears a man down. And then he's supposed to then go and carry a heavy load on offense. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, I, I still think one thing I'm most interested to see is the shooting that Milwaukee has this year, I think is better. Obviously Philadelphia's shooting is better too, but Milwaukee has a lot more guys who are one way shooters instead of guys who can play both ends of the court. So I still think Milwaukee has a number of matchups that go their favor, but that Embiid one is just one that sticks out to me. I also wonder, like if it came up last year, like is Giannis going to guard the best player? Like in the crunch time, like Butler was setting him on fire last year and Giannis was over in the corner on Jay Crowder. So will it be a thing like, okay, Brooke Lopez is getting his rest. Like, do you risk putting Giannis on him? Do you risk getting uh, like having him pick up a couple of cheap fouls? What do they do? Because, yeah, you do not want like Bobby Portis on him being. It's not a knock on Bobby Portis, but that's just not uh, a winning matchup. It is a knock on Bobby Portis. <laughs> His defense is not up to par. With that whole conversation, though, I thought that was like somewhat facetious because, like, what Giannis does for the Bucks defense is is somewhat of a, a hybrid position, and like nobody is like, "Hey, Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year." I don't see you're real scared. Why aren't you out there on Curry? 
You know, like it, it, it's a weird thing where like Giannis is people know that his value is largely about playing closer to the basket defensively, but then they want him to go check the ball full court. So I, I think Embiid it makes it more interesting, but yeah, the foul problem would be. Yeah, and Budenholzer is smart to put Giannis off ball. I mean, I, I've seen a number of breakdowns that are like, yeah, he's stuck defending like just poor Jay Crowder in the corner, like taken away. But any ball screen, Giannis just gets completely hung up on. I don't know what it is about that dude, but he just cannot get his limbs through a ball screen. He gets stuck on that. He's just like goes right into that sucker every single time. Like that's just a huge issue is if he were to guard somebody in crunch time, like if he's guarding James Harden on the nets or Kevin Durant or whoever, they're going to just going to send a ball screen with anybody really. And Giannis is going to get stuck up on that and it's going to create that switch or a mismatch or something. So Budenholzer really has been tactical in the way that he uses Giannis. Obviously that means that Giannis has to improve and work on some of that stuff, but just right now, like that's just a big weakness in his on-ball defense. He has the agility. He has the length to stay with somebody, but as soon as you send a ball screen, he just gets caught on that sucker. I I, I don't know what it is, but I think that Budenholzer is smart to keep him off ball in those situations until, or if Giannis ever improves on that. I think they've been switching. I feel like switching more at regular season. They have been in the postseason. One of the things they've been experimenting with. So I wonder if that would work. Like they just tell you, like, don't even try it. Just switch that. Cause I do like, I get the point of having him like play Rover, but when they were, when the heat were closing down the series, like Jimmy Butler would just ISO to one side, like whatever side Giannis was not on. And it's like, you're just, you're able to take the defensive player of the year out of the game completely. And it felt like no adjustments by Bud there. Yeah, they have definitely been switching even just tonight. Um, they, I mean, all season long, not just tonight, but all season long, they've been switching a lot more. And that's part of what Budenholzer has been working on is that switching. And I, they have a lot of work to do with their communication, just talking on that. But yeah, that's definitely something that they've been focusing more on. Is that uh, Tom just said in the chat, ADS 20. And I honestly, is that like his third 20 point game of the year? I, I, I don't know. Um, Jeremiah said the Jazz kind of remind me of the 15 Hawks to an extent, which I'm glad. I'm glad like Ben Dowsett and some of the Jazz guys aren't here because I'm sure that like they would be just breaking things if they saw that tweet. But I, I kind of don't hate that. If you if you if you believe the Jazz are a playoff paper tiger, then I kind of don't hate. I'd be very upset if this Jazz team gets four All Stars though. Like I think that that's what pissed me off more than anything about that Hawks team, like Jeff Teague <laughs> and Kyle Korver making the All Star team. So if we look up and it's like Royce O'Neal and Jordan Clarkson <laughs> they're coming off the All Star bench, I wouldn't like that. Uh, someone said in the chat too that like most fans would be mad if Ingles is your third best player. I don't know who the the Jazz third best player is. Like I, I guess Conley or sorry, the fourth best player is Ingles, Bogdanovich, Carson. They're, they're a good team. But yeah, no, I don't think they're getting four All-Stars. I hope that they're not sharing. Do you guys think they should even get three All-Stars? Like, I, I feel like it's an argument they could get one. I know they usually reward winning teams, but like I feel like you could go with one of Gobert or Conley or Mitchell. I could see two or I could see or three getting in, but yeah, definitely not four. But how many uh, of them do you guys think make it? I I think that 
two for sure. Well, I think that they'll get two in with having the best record. I think I think it'll be Gobert and Mitchell for sure, just because they have that best record. If they didn't have the best record and just had their normal stats, I think it'd just be either one of Mitchell or Gobert. But because, I mean, you always get rewarded with at least an extra all-star when you have one of the best records, if not the best record in the NBA. So I think they'll get two, but even getting three on this team would be a stretch. Yeah, I don't think Conley's getting – I don't know where this, like, Conley over Mitchell push, push is coming. Is it like – this smells like a Pippum. Is, like, is, is, is Conley, like, slightly ahead of Mitchell and PIPM or something? And, like, the stats-based community really wants this. I, I'm, I'm here for Gobert as their best player. I think that Mitchell and Gobert are going to get into the all-star game. But, like, Conley's missed some time now. He's been solid, but he's not been asked to score like Mitchell. He's not been asked to, to anchor the defense. I don't know what the case for Conley is over. I agree. I think it was Zach Lowe and somebody were discussing. I think it was Kevin Arnovitz. And Arnovitz was talking like he had Conley as the lock. Like, I don't want to misquote him, but he was – what I took from it was that if he was picking – if he had one Jazz member to pick, it was going to be Mike Conley, which surprised me because I was like, I know Conley's been playing well, but I wouldn't – I agree with you guys. I wouldn't pick him over Gobert Mitchell at this point. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's the, it was the same – is that the same one where they were going off about how Bradley Beal would would completely turn around Chicago and he would be their star and they should push their chips in, but uh, Zach, Levine, Zach Levine isn't the star, like – I don't know, man. I think Zach Lowe is becoming my nemesis this season because I'm just not with a lot, a lot of the. I'm not. I didn't hear that part. I haven't listened to the full podcast. They're just going through their All Star choices, so I haven't heard that part. But it wouldn't like they both had Bradley Bill starting comfortably. And I even thought that was a little bit of a shock. I I felt like if Harden and Kyrie Irving are healthy and available, I feel like they'll start, like, right or wrong, whatever. They have the name, recognition. I mean, their play has been great. And if they're there, I feel like they would be the starter. Well, did, does time missed matter? Like, I, I hear you, and, like, the, the collective stars of Kyrie and Harden are pretty pretty obvious and speak for themselves. But, like, Kyrie took some time off. Harden missed some time and was out of shape. His Rockets games don't get like. Doesn't the fact that like I don't know Beal, Brown, Levine, like the guys that have been hooping in Eastern Conference more consistently, does that matter at all? Does it normally matter? I know winning does, but I don't know about does time away matter for the. I think there's a certain like threshold that you cross. I don't know what that threshold is, but I think it's, you know, you can miss a few games, but once you start missing so many then, or if you're away from the game for so many, then I think that can matter, can have an effect. You know, if you're talking about somebody who has been playing in every single game and then someone who's only played half of the available games or whatever, I think there's some made up threshold that potentially comes across voters' minds as they're submitting their I feel like it's kind of weird this year also because I'm looking now, Durant and Kyrie have both played in 18 games, and I feel like Kyrie was gone forever. Durant has missed a couple here or there, but it also feels weird. Like if a guy's missing games for the COVID protocol, seems like like you wouldn't want to knock him for that 
Durant taking, you know, second half of back-to-backs off or whatever he's doing for the injury doesn't feel fair to knock him for that. And he won't be knocked, but I do wonder if like the games played will come into factor for other guys. I also, I would be curious and I probably will spend an hour trying to figure this out tomorrow or the next day. But like if the nets are just above 500 or 500 team, like have we had three all-stars go from a 500 team before? Can you think of any other, other time where we had three all-stars come from a team that was one or two games? None that I can think of, but I also like we haven't had three guys like this together. I don't think. No, yeah, that's definitely true. And and Matt saying in the chat, same thing I was thinking. Like fifteen and twelve, three all stars is a bit of a stretch. But I mean, I, that's the thing too. That's why the Nets are. And people, a couple people in the chat were saying like every Nets game has been so entertaining, and it has. And just like there's potential for drama. Like Kyrie's one of the most entertaining guys in the league to watch. Harden's one of the most polarizing players in the league to watch. KD is like the most pure hooper in the game; can just do absolutely anything. Um, I don't like. I, I don't know that there's been three guys this individually talented together since. Man, I don't know. Like, Wilt, Wilt, Baylor, West, maybe. I, it's probably. I can't. I don't think the Heatles were this talented. I don't think Clay is on the individual basketball level. Like maybe better teams, but three guys this individually talented might not have. Definitely not at this point in their careers. Um, I think that's stuff. Well, maybe maybe when LeBron first got to Miami, but I think just at this point in their careers, they're all still either right at the end of their peak or still in their peak. I think that it definitely is unprecedented. It's also a thing like they're with two, three games over 500, but they're also the three seed. So if I'm looking at it like that, like, hey, they would have home court. I wouldn't be opposed to it. And I just feel like the, again, the name recognition the talent those guys have, they're definitely three of the best 12 players in the East. Yeah. I mean, three of the, the 12 best players in the league probably or or, or close to that. I don't know. Depending on how you feel about Kyrie and some of these other guys, but yeah, no, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't be mad at it, but it would probably be an anomaly. And for that, you know, the Nets being third in the East, that's just, Back to like the conference realignment. I, somebody posted on Twitter today like a picture of the Pacific Division in the West and and then the Eastern Conference, where like the Kings are a five hundred team and aren't sniffing because you know the West, the West. But can I say something that maybe some people might think is controversial when it comes to the All Star and best players in the NBA? Please do. We we genuinely encourage that sort of behavior. <laughs> No, keep it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so as Bucks film room, right, I can't let this go. So Chris Middleton, you look at the all-star fan voting, he's nowhere to be found. They list the top 10 players. He's not anywhere on there. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think he's he's the four, he should be number four in the front court voting. If you're going based off of um, production this year alone, he's number four behind Durant, behind Giannis and Embiid. He should be in that four spot and really – I, I mapped it out over the last, you know, last year and this year. Out of all the players, I, I think he's been a top fifteen player overall the last two years. Um, so I just want to throw that out there and get your guys' opinion on Middleton. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, he should definitely be there. Like I'm looking at it now, and Tatum and Brown is weird. 
like they're going to be there. I just didn't know how, if they would list them like forward guard. They've got Tatum Ford and Jalen Brown's a guard. But like Jimmy Butler's five, and he definitely hasn't been, you know, that caliber this year. But Jeremy Grant's ahead of Chris Middleton. That's tough. And Jeremy Grant, he's had a really good year, like a better year than than me and a lot of other people expected him to have. But yeah, that that that's a tough look for Middleton not being ahead of him there. I still have Tatum. I still have Tatum ahead of of Middleton. I think, but like, yeah, he should be in there. I I think he'd be five for me. It it is tough though, man. Like a, a guy who's probably not going to get in, um, in Nikola Vucevic, who I feel like literally could not play any better basketball. And this team is leaning on guys like Dwayne Bacon and Michael Carter Williams tonight. Like I know that the the Magic aren't good, but I really feel like Vucevic is a guy who should get in, and I don't even know if he'll get in because after the five we've already talked about, you know Sabonis is having a great year, Julius Randle is having a great year, and uh, Matt Moore is letting the people know that Julius Randle putting up numbers for the Knicks is more important than anything that uh, that AD or Luca did this year. So he's got some push, and Bam and Butler for the Heat got some push. So like it, it's a tough year, man. There's a Yeah, it's definitely, uh, especially when you add in like that Durant came over in the front court from the West. I think that's been huge. And then some of these other guys are getting a lot of push. Like Jeremy Grant, those raw stats are nice. Gordon Hayward, I mean, he's having, I guess, a good enough season to get on this list. And then, yeah, Randall, it's like some of those guys might be, uh, what does Zach Lowell call it, like empty calorie stats. Um, But they're definitely guys that make the – the box score look nice and rack up some of these votes. That's that's another thing though. Like what what is he says that a lot. Like how can you be an empty calorie stats guy when your team sucks? And that and there's not there's nothing for for there's no chance of your team competing. And the only thing that that can get them close or even keep the games entertaining is you going out there and doing what you can do. I like I, I, there's very few guys I feel like the only. The empty stack guys to me are guys that like shoot the ball way too often um, or are way too focused on box score stats when the team has a chance to compete or contend. I don't, I don't really get that in the context of like if the team's not good, then this guy's got. Yeah, I agree. Like I feel like Levine gets that rap quite a bit and he's shooting like close to 50, 40, 90. It's like what like what's he supposed to do? Like he if he's not scoring 30 a game, they'd be much worse than they are now for like Trey kind of gets it too. And it's like, like, have you watched the Hawks when Trey young is not on the court? Like it, it's hideous. Like what else is he supposed to? The Levine thing is the Levine thing kills me. And like Shravon and Tom and all the guys who've been in here listening to me for the last month or and a half have been like enough on Levine, but my God, man, like what, what else can that guy do? Like there's like six guys in history who have the numbers he has this year, like in the Jordan and LeBron, Durant, Harden, Giannis, and Jokic and him. Like, no one else – like, he's scoring at just an absolutely absurdly rate. He's never going to be a great defender. He's playing next to, like, a, a really inconsistent guard in white. Their front court hasn't been healthy. I, I don't I don't really understand why Zach Levine's reputation still stinks. As long. It feels like one of those things, like, it was kind of just decided. Like, I feel like we – and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Like we just ceilings are just kind of put on guys. Like again, as soon as Jeremy Grant signed that deal, it was like, oh well, 
Like, that's crazy. That's chaos. And now he's averaging 24, 25 points a game. I feel like Terry Rozier got the same. Like, the second he signed that deal, it was like, oh, that's a bad deal. And now he's shooting, like, 45, 46%, taking seven, eight threes a game. So I don't know what it is where guys, I feel like they get that tag early. Like somebody said in the chat, Wiggins in uh, Minnesota. I think that was, that's a good example. I think that was empty calories because he would, I think he averaged 22 or 23 for a year. But if you watched it, you're like, that didn't really have any kind of impact on the game. The highest of hopes for that guy, though. The highest of hopes just for, for Wiggins. And every time Wiggins had a six-game sample where he just busted, I, w- I was all over it. But, man, yeah. Yeah, I guess I agree, too. Do you think it has to do with winning? Because I feel like a lot of these guys have just been on teams that haven't racked up a lot of W's, right? Like we're talking about Wiggins, Levine, other guys who shoot. And I'm, I mean, I'm looking at Levine's stats. Like his effective field goal percentage is through the roof this year. And he's been, you know, he's been getting better, I guess, the last three years. But do you think winning or the lack of winning has to do with that perception? Oh, 100%. Like, and this is the thing, like, this is where Utah fans really started to hate me. About a year ago, I tweeted that if you swapped Levine and Mitchell, Levine would have an Adidas shoe deal and be a, a fan favorite, and Mitchell would just be a chucker on a bad team. Because, you know, Levine would have got to play with Rudy Gobert and a good coach and a team that had actually seen the playoffs. But, I mean, at some point, like, being a scoring guard in today's NBA, like, you, you can't carry all the weight. You can't defend every position. You can't help that Jim Boylan is your coach and Sam Mitchell is your coach. I, I just... I just I, I it surprised me immensely that low and I think I can't remember if it was Arnovitz or McMahon, but the two of them were talking about Brad, like trading Levine for Bradley Beal would essentially swap the fortunes of Chicago, and I just I I see that as a more or less. Yeah, I think Devin Booker is an example of that. Like his numbers have like more or less been the same past couple of years. Now, his, I think he's improved his game, but the numbers have looked about the same. And I feel like he got the empty calories tag, too. But now they're three or four seed. Like he has better teammates around him. And now they're not empty calories. So, I, yeah, winning definitely has a, or plays a factor in that. I know that Dion and I and a couple of the guys have talked about this before, too, where like Book, Mitchell, Levine. Like it does feel like there's a lot of wings in today's NBA, wings slash guards who can put you in that 25, four and four range somewhat comfortably. And the difference maker is like, is there another playmaker in the lineup? Is there defensive help up and down and whoever wins gets to kind of ride that line. And even like, I mean, Booker had this great year, he had this great bubble performance and you kind of expected him to just take another step forward this year. And I don't think we've seen that with him either. Like Chris Paul has been there. He's been great. The Suns have been good. Aiton is up and down and all around. They love Mikhail Bridges, but I don't think I can say, you know, concretely, oh, Devin Booker is definitely into that all-NBA conversation this year. It's not like he... Yeah, and I think that's kind of, like, part of it. I remember hearing that I think they the Suns are have a positive net rating when either Booker is on the floor without Paul or Paul without Booker, but both of them together. I don't think has a net rating. Maybe that's changed since then. So that again, kind of goes into what you were saying. Like, I feel like he's kind of been playing the same game, right? Like he's not getting all NBA talk. Now he wasn't getting it before. Like he just made his first all-star game. It just goes into, well, okay. Now Aiden has another year under his belt. Mikael Bridges playing great. 
and you add a Hall of Fame point guard. Like, funny how that changes things. Who who some Suns fans didn't want to give up Kelly Oubre for, which... I mean, again, just, could you believe... <laughs> Sorry, I missed that, Tyler. No, I just said, could you blame him? I mean, he's Kelly Oubre. Uh, he does it all. He doesn't do any of it particularly well, but he does it all. They they hit on that nickname, Tsunami Poppy, and they just didn't want to give it up, which I respect it, but come on, man. Um, MVP's kind of played, so let's do this. Let's do all NBA with like the last 10 minutes here because um, we're kind of talking that anyway. So who are the who are the six guards you guys got for all? You have to give me a minute. You're putting me on the spot. Well, I mean, I I, I think it's pretty safe. We all got Curry, right? We'll start there. Which one? Curry, all in, if, no, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Steph. I think Steph. Thor- yeah, <laughs> I think Steph and Dame are locks. Then you get into like Harden. Yeah, I'll go Steph, Dame, Harden, Bill, Luke. I guess Luke is a. Yeah, I guess he's still a guard. And, like, I see Paul George listed it as shooting guard, so I'd, I guess him. I feel like I'm forgetting a lot of people, but I guess that would be my six. Uh, Darren says in the chat, Trey, and, like, I mean, if we're going to talk about Levine's problems on defense, I, I think Trey's have been noted. I don't know that – he's been really good. Trey's been really good. Land has been decent. But, yeah, I don't think I'm taking over anyone that uh, Tyler listed there. And I did just check, too, for, for clarification on the uh, Sun situation. You're right. Devin Booker and Paul together is minus 1.3. Just Paul is 9.6. And uh, when they're switched, I'll check that right now. So you think Beal will make it? Because Beal, Beal's left off the all, all of the All-NBA teams last year, right? Yeah, he didn't make the All-Star game He didn't make it. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that will change this year because of that like it might be somewhat overcorrection because i feel like he's doing like more or less the same thing the east mm-hmm. is tougher this year but i do feel like he'll get in there and it, i mean it's, it's been times where like if westbrook's not hitting anything and that's been kind of often then he really doesn't have a lot of help there so i, I wouldn't have a problem putting him on my all nba team but th- this is the thing with beal that i'm like i'm super confused by and maybe maybe fans are smarter, but like when Kobe was scoring thirty five points a game, and he had like Lamar Odom and and Kwame um, Smush as his key contributors, like the dialogue was very mixed. Of like it's incredible that he's doing this. The scoring output is unheard of, but at the same time, they're not winning basketball games. Now Beal's putting up thirty three, and he's doing it like fairly efficiently. He's not scoring at the same rate as like Kevin Durant or Zach Levine, but everyone's like, "Oh man, Beal's incredible." Last year he wasn't an All Star. This year he's he's a lock. He should be starting. He's all of these things. And I'm like, how how come that same bar isn't applied to Beal? How come the six and sixteen Wizards record isn't at all on Beal? Is it because like Russ is just the perfect meat shield for all? I think it's because everyone knows just how incompetent that Washington franchise has been. Maybe not their new general manager, but just they just have very, very little talent around Beal. And maybe maybe it's more evident than compared to Chicago. I don't know. 
Yeah, I think it's like the scoring outbursts definitely help. And like the stats that pop up where it's like they've lost their last 10 or 11 games when he scored 40 points and you just see him on the bench now. Like I feel like before, just because no social media, we wouldn't see Kobe as pissed as often. Now, if Bradley Beal is upset at something in the first quarter, we've seen it by the second quarter. Maybe it's the fact that, like, Kobe was telling Smush to eat shit and Beal's, like, I don't want to leave Washington. And people just people just love the fact that he still wants to stay in this, like, empty gunner situation where he can never win. But uh, every other team in the league is like, I hope we can trade for him. He's like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. And there it is, Tyler in the chat. What's the best trade destination for Beal? Like, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll throw it to you guys, but I'm getting the, the genuine impression that he just does not want to leave Washington. If he wanted to leave Washington, he would have all the public support to be like, get me out of here right now. Yeah, if he, if he wanted to leave Washington, I don't think he would have signed that extension. Um, was that like a year and a half ago or whatever? I think that was his chance to get out. I mean, he knew they weren't going to be good. He knew what he was signing up for. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that he that he wants to go at this point. I want him in Brooklyn. Like, I, I want him to just go all the way in. Like, if we're not going to play defense, we're not going to, like, even try to play defense. Just go full in. I don't even know what it would take. I've heard some bill to the Warriors, like around Wiseman, the Minnesota pick. I don't. If I'm Golden State, I don't know if I push all my chips in for Bill. And I know I just had him like all NBA. I just don't know if that changes their trajectory all that much. Bill, Bill to the Warriors is the interesting one. Like I feel like Denver goes all in on Bill. Their offense is already amazing. Their defense doesn't get any better. But, like, the Warriors, like, what does Clay look like when he gets back? They have all this money on the books anyway with Wiggins and Oubre and Draymond and contracts you don't really love. I, I think Beal of the Warriors is interesting, but, like, I, I think if you threw that on Twitter right now, too, they would be really split on whether they wanted to give up Wiseman in that pick. And that mystery box of that pick in this in this Cade-Suggs draft that people are really excited about is holding, you know, a whole lot more interest than... Like, I don't think they would do it. Maybe they probably shouldn't, but I do think Pelicans would be interesting for Bill just because I think they have enough young players, picks, could take back maybe a bad salary or two to get Bill without giving up Zion or Brandon Ingram. Yeah, you could. I mean, you could, you could empty the chest. I think Oklahoma City could do the same thing too. Like, if Oklahoma City wanted to move off five or so of their picks and somebody else they could do Beal and Shea and I don't know whoever else they've decided Diallo or Baisley whoever else they want to keep in that rotation um, they could probably do it but I don't know what about Memphis like if Memphis is just like okay yeah we're young and building but maybe we don't want to just assume linear progression for everybody like if they could find a way like they they draft well first round second round like Desmond Bain and um, Xavier Tillman. So if they want to give up a couple picks, I guess like Dylan Brooks, Gorgie Dang for salary, maybe Brandon Clark. And they were like, okay, like Bradley Bill still young enough to where this isn't, you know, jeopardizing our future because I think he's 27. And Memphis is close to, to St. Louis, quiet as it's kept. I don't know if Bradley Bill wants to get closer to home or anything, but 
I don't know. That's actually interesting too. And that's the exact kind of move that Memphis will have to make if they want to be really good. Cause they're not going to convince anybody to like, they're not going to convince a max type guy to come to Memphis. And while, while you have Jaron and, and Clark Bain jaw on these rookie deals, you want to try to add that star that one incentivizes them to re up, but two gives you a chance to compete where you have that cap flexibility. But I, again, I don't know, like is, if Bradley Beal is on board, that's great. But then you're trying to trade your future for Bradley Beal, and he could also just be like, "I don't want to be in Memphis." It's a, it's a really it's a new age where like it doesn't even matter what year a guy is in his deal. If you trade for him, he doesn't want to be there. It's yeah. I also think it's a thing where like if they do want to be there, like again, we saw. LeBron was taking one plus one deals. Katie took one plus one deals. Like if they want to be there, they'll stay. Like LeBron took like the full one from like the full four from the Lakers the first time and then re-signed when he didn't have to. And we've seen Bradley Bill is loyal probably to a fault. So I feel like if you could get him in the door and just show that you're being competitive, like I haven't heard anything like he wants to get to a big market or he wants to get you know, New York, L.A., Miami or anything. I feel like he just wants like a team that wants to compete. Memphis definitely has that. Yeah, they certainly have the mentality. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I think Beal would be interesting no matter where he goes. You know, the team that gets him would have to give up a bunch of picks. We've seen like the Bucks give up how many first round picks for Drew Holiday and Beal's on a whole nother level than Drew. So it'd be interesting to see if he gets traded, the type of team that he goes to, because you'd think that they'd be ready to compete, but what kind of team has those assets to give up, whether it be multiple first-round picks or whatever Washington is looking for, well, then also being able to stay competitive. And I agree with what you guys are saying is Beal, I think he is loyal to a fault. I mean, he's still in Washington after all, um, when he easily, maybe not easily, but he could have tried to force his way out. So it'd be interesting to see what team he goes to and then what, kind of hole or what assets that team has to give up to get him and how competitive they can stay after acquiring him. I think Philly always has the Trump card, right? Like if they put Simmons on the table, I think you could definitely get Bill. But at that point it's like, okay, do you want to swap the, you know, Simmons all around game for Bill's ability to just get 30, 35 points at any given point? That is that is the deal that like makes the rounds, and every time I'm like, don't both teams want this? And then another time I'm like, well, I think Philly would want a little more. I think I think Washington would want a little bit more. Uh, Matt says in the chat, Beal and some pick swaps for Sadiq Bay. That that game from Bay tonight was unreal. Is he still shooting like two percent inside the arc or whatever it was? What, what, what was the stat? Wasn't for a while there, he was shooting like really, he was shooting amazing behind the arc and then just really bad. It was like in the paint or inside the arc or something like that. Oh, I never, I never saw a seven and seven from three tonight though, man, just cranked the Celtics. And people were talking about the timeline too. Like, I don't think Boston can get in on the BL sweepstakes. I don't think uh, Peyton Pritchard and Kemba Walker's deal and picks is doing that, but uh, man, like the Boston Celtics are a team that should feel like, and to Tyler talking about 
you know, uh, that upward progress that you hope every team is going to make. Like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have both made significant jumps. I remember four years ago when every Celtics fan on every forum was talking about trading one of those two for Anthony Davis, and they would just get laughed out of the – they just get laughed out of the room. They get dunked on all over the place. And now it's, like, reached a point where those guys have actually matched those ridiculous expectations, and there's nothing around them. And I know Marcus Smart is hurt, but they, they feel – Boston feels like a team that could really – I mean, Tatum and Bill, they got the St. Louis connection. Like, I, I think that would definitely work. Do, but, do you, yeah, I agree. Like, Kimba and stuff. Uh, wouldn't be enough for me if I'm Washington. Darren says, like, would you trade Brown for Beal straight up? And, like, honestly, I, I don't see the incentive to trade Jalen Brown for, for Bradley Beal. He's locked up. He's cheaper. He plays more defense. I don't think Beal's that much better offensively that he changes the Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't do that either. And, again, like, we see just the leaps Jalen Brown has taken the last two years. That's enough. Like, I wouldn't want to put a ceiling on him. Who's to say he just doesn't keep getting better? Like, I, not to say the Bills done, but he's a thirty-plus point a game score, can facilitate some. Not much of a defender. We've seen that. Jalen Brown is like a twenty-five point a game guy. Might make all defense. The shots getting better. Everything's getting better. So, I, yeah, I wouldn't do that deal either. Yeah, and I think Brown. I think his IQ is what sets him apart there too. Like, he's just such a smart, such a smart player, such a smart basketball player that like. I think that really is the key to longevity too. And just to keep getting better, you know, he just can analyze the game so quickly, understands how to put himself in the best position, how to get his teammates in the best position. I think he's just, his arrows pointing straight up. We just got to figure out right now, the three of us, how to get Bradley Beal to Dallas for Kristaps Porzingis. Cause that, that would, uh, that would. Tim Hardaway in the second round. Write it up. Write it up, friend. Um, Maybe a first-round pick swap or something? Yeah. No, man. Uh, I mean, the Mavs, the Mavs got a good win tonight, even though they, they can't play defense. But Porzingis has been a tough – I see Knicks guys every night. Knicks won, Knicks won the Porzingis trade, and I, I don't even have the heart to fight the battle right now. That's, that's how that's Yeah, you just gotta let the Knicks fans have it. Like, just you just say, just smile and nod. I heard little whispers that the Mavs thought even if Giannis re-upped with the Bucks, if the Bucks didn't win, there might be an opportunity to do some sort of a of a trade package around Porzingis for Giannis. And I remember hearing that last summer and thinking, like, oh, that you know, there could there could be something to that. There could be something to that. And at this point, oh my God. They, not even close. Not even in this. Not even. I I don't even have it in my heart to talk about the Giannis <laughs> trade. I mean, I can't even go there. Brian, I'm just still Brian, I'm just still elated from the extension. Who who wrote the article the day of the extension that was like, well, congrats, but we need to talk about the possibility of him asking for a trade anyway next next summer. Do you remember who that was? Oh, I know what you're talking about, but no, I. I would only have guesses and I don't want to do that. But yeah, I remember that article, but I don't even, I don't remember who. I saw that making the rounds and Bucks fans were like, we couldn't, we couldn't have a day. You couldn't, you couldn't. Let... Yeah. I'm trying to think who that was too, because yeah, it was maybe, was this somebody from the athletic? I want to say, 
Uh, maybe I shouldn't have put that out. There. I don't know. I, I forget who. Feels like a Joe Varden type vibe. Um, Tyler says, what happens if Drew walks? Which has been which has been talked about some, but like Drew's got that player option, um, and I and I know you were talking about what they gave for him, but I don't really think that's an honest bar because David Griffin knew the Bucks were in a tough spot and he took advantage of them. Like he got more for Drew than I think Drew would have got for for anybody from anybody else. But yeah, what is what is the Bucks contingency plan if Drew's like actually, I'm not really feeling Milwaukee. I'll just I'll just take the payday and I'll go to New York. Uh, sixty. I think that I don't think they have a contingency plan. They don't have any first round picks. They don't have any. I mean, they won't have much free agency or salary cap money to spend. DJ Augustine has looked awful. Dante Divincenzo has not been playing at his best or up to his potential. So I think they're really banking on Drew re upping. And I think everything has gone well. There's no signs pointing toward he wouldn't re-up. I mean, um, he's talked about how he wants to play for a winning team, which Milwaukee obviously gives him that chance. His wife is from the Midwest area, roughly, so um, the cold doesn't scare them away, I guess, like it might for some for some players. And so I think that they're hoping that he re-ups. There are no signs that he won't. I think they can offer him a contract here in a couple of weeks, um, an extension toward the end of February. But if, if he walks, Milwaukee's in a tough spot. They don't have resources. I mean, they're really capped out with this aging team um, until some of these guys become free agents. So they don't really have a contingency plan if Holiday wants to walk away. Yeah, they're cooked if they do. But I respect that, though, right? Because they're like, okay, if Giannis walks, we're cooked regardless. Like, we have to go all in. Giannis signed. If Drew leaves, it would stink. But Giannis is signed for five. You'll figure it out. That's, that's it, too. Like, you, even if, like, and I do kind of feel like the offensive issues with Drew and Bled will be somewhat similar in the playoffs. But, you know, they had to do it. They had You could not let a generational player walk because he was scared to play. Yeah, yeah. Whether this works or not, I mean, we'll find out. But they had to. They literally had no other options. They had to try to keep Giannis, and this obviously worked at least for now to keep him or to get him to resign. And they have a lot of they have a lot of potential. I mean, I see um, Darren saying that they're kind of a weird fit. I think that they've tried a different team in the past. They had a lot of. In the last two years, they had more two-way players who could impact both sides of the court. This year, I think they went for more offensive-minded players, at least when they're as far as their second unit. Um, as far as we're talking about their second unit, but it, they had no other choice. It may not be the perfect fit or the best fit, but they've really just did the only move that they can. And you know, after decades of competing for the AC, now they're again near the top of the Eastern Conference standing. So this was really the only move. I said we'd do it. I said we'd do it. I teased it in the in the preview, and you guys have both been generous through time. Give me an hour here. So before we wrap up, let's. Who's your MVP pick right now, and why? And Tyler, I'll throw it to you. Uh, as of right now, I think I'd go in B. Like they have the number one record in their conference. I feel like he's been dominant at both ends. I feel like he's improved at all the things that people wanted to see him improve at, like conditioning. He's getting to the line more than I think he's still number one in getting to the free throw line. He's hitting free throws. He's hitting threes. He's playing more minutes. So as of right now, what are we about a third of the way in? I'd go Joel Embiid. Brian, 
Chris Middleton. Is that? <laughs> um, I would go Embiid as well. I think that. I think he's been dominant, and as much I say that, but then also he's been talking about like what winning sixty games and winning the MVP for like fourteen preseason press conferences in a row. But I think that he's he's putting it together. I think he's been dominant. I don't think there's any arguing with him as the MVP pick at this point. I would still be tempted to argue for LeBron, for but it, it's close, and I really feel like. Jokic would win this thing if the Nuggets record was better, but they just, they have not been, I mean, similar to the Mavs, the Nuggets have not been the team stepping forward that people thought they would. And Jokic has been absolutely insane, but the Nuggets record is definitely holding them down. Yeah, I think all three are viable candidates. They're all having great seasons and I hope that it's a close MVP race. It's always fun when it comes down to the end of the year and there are multiple guys like this just, you know, not necessarily directly competing one-on-one, but, you know, they know that there's a lot at stake. But I think all three are great picks. And, yeah, I agree with you about the Nuggets record holding him down. LeBron, there may be a little bit of, like, voting revenge this year after. I mean, I know there's been on Twitter a lot of talk about when he should have won other MVPs and what years. So maybe this is the year that he kind of sneaks in there and steals one that maybe he doesn't completely deserve, but is kind of a, like a legacy MVP award. It feels really open though. Like I, you know, I said this on the pod this week, but I feel like if the Warriors ripped off six wins, Curry would be at the top of somebody's ballot. Or if like the Celtics ripped off six wins, it'd be Tatum. Or if KD comes back and, Kyrie Harden misses sometimes. Katie could be at the. It does, and it is fun. And the parody angle works for the the award discussions too, because it feels like there are seven or eight guys you can make a legitimate case for with just a little change in the standing. Yeah, and even like if we're talking like most valuable, as in if you take them off of their team, the team collapses. That feels like Steph and Dame to me. Like Portland's been without. McCollum and Nurkic for I think a month over a month yeah and they're still like still chugging along that Warriors team do you think about somebody trying to create like if Steph just wasn't there like who is Draymond creating these fast break looks for it gets ugly fast and neither one of those guys are top three or five even depending on who you talk to Dame is the best player ever to be stuck in the immediate shadow of a player who's just a little bit better like it just it just feels like Dame every year ups his game too, and he's just a little bit better. And he's scoring a little bit more. He's carrying a little bit more weight, and still it's just like he's not Steph. Which I mean, he's going to be you know second or third team All NBA, and I don't feel too bad for him. And he he's happy where he's at in Portland, but man, Dame always just feels like he's just a half step behind Curry. That's how I think Kevin Durant feels about LeBron. Like he just keeps getting better and better, and it's like. I thought this old man would be gone by now, and he's not. Honest to God, the worst feeling on earth, like all of that, the night terrors or whatever he had, where like he he called Rich in the middle of the night, and he's like, why the hell would you let me go to the Warriors? And then, he, then he gets there, and they win, and he hits that shot over him, and he's like, he, he rolls out of the, the locker room, and he grabs his phone, and he's like going to check the timeline on the burner, and he's thinking, man, I've got to be, I'm getting all the love tonight. And people were like, oh, he still doesn't have a ring to me. Like, I, I, I honestly, it was funny at the time, but I feel bad for him, man, because he thought he was he was making moves there, and it just it didn't play that way. 
he's got a lot of career left too. I mean, KD, I think a lot of us slept on him that year that he was off with the injury. And now he's coming back and his shooting numbers are just insane. And I think he has a lot of career left at what, 31, 32 or whatever, however old he is that he's still got a lot of books, a lot of chapter to write in his story too. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, guys, thanks so much for the time tonight. Like, really appreciate you guys hopping on locker room and and chatting with us. Um, if you don't know these guys, which I'm sure most of you do, um, Brian Sampson is on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. puts out a ton of great stuff, some articles, some film stuff. tweets about the Bucks nonstop, and I mean, you, you guys know Tyler uh, <laughs> on Twitter at Tyler. I am. Um, he's always not here to argue, but always here to entertain. Appreciate it, guys. No, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, I appreciate All right, I'll be hosting another one of these uh, Sunday afternoon. So you can catch me that. Take it easy, everybody.